I hope and pray that the series on love has been a help to you. I hope that even though you may have probably read 1 Corinthians 13 many times um, in a wedding ceremony or read it for yourself in the Word, um, that you would be encouraged as we've looked into some of these different uh, descriptions of love, if you will, uh, to be more motivated to live out this love. Uh, my goal is not for us to have a mere mental exercise and how much we know the Bible and what look, love looks like. Um, my goal as a pastor is to see where we are lacking and where we should be striving to be. Because there are a lot of things in this world um, that many of us know are lacking, and I think love is one of them. Love is lacking in the church. It's lacking in the world. It's lacking in literally the culture that we live in here in America. So before we begin this morning, I have something I do want to ask you to do. This is going to be a little different than most sermons that I start with. But I do want you to take a moment, and I want you to think of one of the most loving people you know in your life. And what I mean by that is somebody that if you were to say they're a loving person, they come to mind. I want you to have that person in your mind. I want you to keep it in your mind. And as we work through the list this morning, I want you to, if you will, have a mental checklist of how many of these attributes you've seen in their life, if you will. The goal is not to judge this person, because I'm assuming you're thinking fond things of that person if I'm asking you to think of a person that is loving, okay? Uh, I'm not asking for you to think of somebody that you wish was more loving, okay? There's a difference, all right? I'm asking you to think of somebody in your life that you would say, you know what, this person I have seen as a loving person. They maybe have been somebody that passed on already. Uh, they've already um, you know, passed into glory. They may be here on this earth right now. The point is, is it's somebody that's specific to you that you would think, hey, you know what, if I was to define them, they would be that loving person. So as we work through these descriptions of love, I want you to, like I said, keep that person in mind. Okay, so you have two assignments today. Hopefully it's not too much. Okay? Number one is the most loving person you know. I want you to see how they match up to this list. And, and it's not in a judging way. This is to see how many of those things were visible in their life, if you will. Okay? And then number two, this one is, is pertaining to you. How many of those things that you describe the other person to be are you doing? And how many are you still lacking with that list, possibly, and whatever's left in the word that we're going to discuss this morning? Okay? So does everybody understand where we're going? So you have a loving person that you're going to see in your mind. You have a picture of somebody. You know somebody like this. And you're, we're going to go through the descriptions of love this morning. And I want you to see where they match up. How do they, how, how do they match up to what 1 Corinthians says love is? Are they, are they following through on a lot of these things that we're going to talk about? Because most of the time they do. Okay, most people that we think of as loving, they typically do follow a lot of the patterns that Scripture lays out. Um, particularly those that are believers that know what it means to be unconditionally loving. Okay? Um, so we're going to ask that. And the second part, the second part of that is where are the areas that you don't match up with that person and then also are lacking potentially in other areas? Does that make sense? In what we're going to discuss this morning. So those are your two, if you will, kind of goals this morning, and we're going to kind of conclude with some, of the, some, some other questions to kind of wrap this all together. But I want you to think of one person, like I said, that is truly, in your mind, a loving individual. Uh, they really were somebody that impacted your life. 
because you saw them as a loving person. And I want you to keep them in mind throughout the sermon. Uh, my goal is for, for us to dwell on the word, but I want you to also be able to connect the dots between how the word is describing love and how somebody has lived it out. Does that make sense? I'm assuming the person that you're thinking of is somebody that you hold in high regard. Please, you know, like I said, let me put that as a pretext. Not somebody you wish was more loving, but someone that you believe has been loving. Does that make sense? So here we go. We're going to start. Review a little bit of last week, and we're going to get into some new, a new section here. Um, just the different descriptions of divine love that we started with, and we're going to go through the 15 just to kind of tell us where we're going. Number one, patient with others. Patient with others. Number two, useful to others. Useful to others. Number three, not jealous. Not jealous. Number four, does not show off. Does not show off. Number five, not proud. Not proud. Number six, not rude. They're not rude. Number seven, not self-focused. Not self-focused. Number eight, not easily angered. Not easily angered. Number nine, does not keep score in regards to wrong. Does not keep score. Number 10, broken by injustice. Number 10, broken by injustice. Number 11, thrilled with the truth. Thrilled with the truth. Number 12, suppresses others' flaws. Number 12, suppresses others' flaws. Number 13, believes the best. Believes the best of others and the circumstances. Number 14, stands assured. Stands assured. And number 15, does not give up. Does not give up. So we're going to break into this next section here. We didn't finish up a couple things last week, so I'm going to kind of keep moving here. In verse number 4, we talked about the fact that love is patient. It's kind. It is not jealous. Does not parade itself. Here's where we're going to be. Verse 4. Does not show off. Love does not show off. Love does not elevate itself to a level of superiority. Love keeps a balance. Is more about the other's well-being instead of public praise. Is more about the other's well-being instead of public praise. Love gives for the good of the other, not for the praise of the other. There's a difference. You see, true agape love is looking for the benefit of the other person, not for the praise of the other person. You see, most of us uh, that do something for somebody, we have preconceived notions that we are not willing to admit many times. We don't always do it out of a heart of love, though we'd like to believe we do, and we'd like others to believe that we do. Uh, We have this uh, sin nature... The selfish side of us that wants the praise, that wants the glory, that wants the attaboy, girl. anytime we do something on someone else's behalf. Let's just be honest. Call it like it is. Okay? That's every one of us. Agape love is for the well-being of the other, not for the praise of the other. God did not love us so we, that we would ultimately praise him. He loved us before we praised him. Does that make sense? He loved us before we ever praised him. So... Agape love does not go around bragging about what it has done for others. 
It cannot be focused on the needs of others while being self-centered. It's impossible to focus on the needs of others if you are self-centered. We're going to talk about this a little bit later. A person living out agape love will boost the other they are trying to help rather than bragging about what they've done on their behalf. They will boost the other rather than bragging about what they've done on their behalf. That poor individual, they needed my help. Guess what I did for them? That's not love, okay? That's not love, okay? Love says, that person was in need. I met the need. I didn't make a scene of it, okay? I didn't try to sit there and go, hey, give me the credits too. In fact, love does not assume that since it has something to give, it now has a reason to brag. Love does not assume that since it has something to give, it now has a reason to brag. In fact, this quote, I think, is very apropos. Least doers are the greatest boasters. Least doers are the greatest boasters. People that do the very least in society tend to try to get the most praise for what little they do do. Please think back through all the things that you've gone through in life. Have you seen people like this? There's a project that's going on. They come in at the last 5% of the project and take the credit like they helped for the whole thing. Anybody ever have that happen? Yeah? These are the people that constantly, when they finally get to do a project, they want everybody to know they finally did something. They haven't helped the whole time. The one time they helped out, hey, I was there last Saturday helping out. I haven't helped out for the last two years, but, you know, last Saturday, I was here. Clean up the church. Whatever it is that people like to boast about. The sad reality is, is that is not love. And God would prefer you stay home or stay put than brag about what you're going to do for someone else. We still need to love people unconditionally. And this is one of those ways where we don't boast about what we do for them. God did not give of his son to brag about it, but humbly his son offered his life on our behalf. Humbly offered himself on our behalf. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says this. This is to put us in check about what love looks like. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Folks, you never have a reason to boast about your love for God. Period. You boast in Christ and what he's done. Not that you're some amazing Christian that now lives faithfully for a couple days and then falls again. You have nothing to boast in. I have nothing to boast in when it comes to our salvation. We didn't have some incredible quality in us that God found. Man, am I so glad I have him. No. You should be so glad you have him. He didn't need you. That's the amazing part. He still wanted you and pursued you to the cross. If that doesn't stir you to love people the right way, then you're going to constantly live giving of yourself and asking for praise and boasting of what you've done. There's nothing that we do here in this church or in the community 
that is anything for us to boast about. It's all Christ. It's all Him. Our school is all Him. Our church is all Him. Our families that we raise is all about Him. It's not because we figured it out. The Holy Spirit is the one that gives us the strength. And as Acts even said, Peter, being filled with the Spirit, preached boldly. You want boldness? You, want, you need God's presence. You need God's filling of the Holy Spirit in you for you to have boldness. A lot of the reason why Christians are cowards is they don't have the Holy Spirit filled, filling them in, that, in their lives. They're running on empty and expecting to go change the world. 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 17 and 18 says this. Let the one who boasts, boast in who? In the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. You're not there to sign up to help others, ultimately to get the praise for signing up. You're to be praised ultimately because the Lord gave you that calling. And God gets the praise. Remember that they may see your good works and glorify who? Your Father who is in heaven, right? that's, That's who's supposed to get the credit. Not you and I with the kind deed for the day. Okay? Now, kindness is important. We talked about that last week. Kindness is important. It is important for love, right? But it isn't to be done so that we can call up a radio station and tell them how kind we were to somebody the other day. Just kind of defeats the purpose of love, at least if you look at it from this perspective here. Is it fine for people to hear touching stories? I think it's perfectly fine. I'm not opposed to that in any, any way. But I ask, what is the motivating factor for us? Is it so we get people to notice how good we were to someone else? Or is it for us to have the praise go back to Christ and he gets the full glory and credit? Charles Spurgeon says this he says grace puts his hand on the boasting mouth and shuts it once for all grace puts its hand on the boasting mouth and shuts it once for all what's another description of love the other part of verse 4 says love does not parade itself is not Puffed up. Love is not proud. Love is not full of itself in self-approval. Love's no, love knows more is accomplished through humility rather than pride. Do you realize that? Love understands that more is done out of humility than out of pride. Love builds the other's reputation at the expense of its own. We're not preaching doormat theology here, folks. But I promise you, Jesus wasn't exactly treated as a king his time on this earth. And he exemplified the greatest form of love and description of love that you and I could ever live out. So be careful when people say, that means I'm going to be a doormat. No, it's not. What it does mean is that you don't need to walk around in pride telling everybody how loving you are and how much you love the Lord. Remember when the publican and the Pharisee both went to pray? What was the attitude of the Pharisee? Lord, I thank you that I'm not like these people. I thank you that I do this good stuff. I I give of my tithes. I pray. I, I I contribute to my community, if you will. 
And the publican, the tax collector, what's his response? Be merciful to me, a sinner. Now, who do you believe loved God more at that moment? The one that says all the things he's done for him? Or the one that just humbly admitted, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. The heart matters, folks. It matters tremendously. If we are loving people out of pride, that is no longer agape love. Scrub that out of your definition of agape love. Love builds the other's reputation at the expense of its own. Let me remind you, Jesus was made of no reputation, as Scripture says, on our behalf. Is Jesus coming back and one day going to be exalted as king? Absolutely. But when he came to suffer on our behalf, he came humbly, not in pride, and sacrificed of himself for us. He wasn't looking for the accolades. He exemplified love in its purest form. Psalm 31, 23 says this, Love the Lord, all you godly ones, for the Lord protects those who are loyal to him, but he harshly punishes the arrogant. You think pride is something that God looks fondly on? No, he doesn't. Love is not proud. Matthew 23, 12 says this, Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Here's the interesting point that a lot of people miss. They want themselves to be praised and don't realize that in humbling themselves, others will praise them and God will praise them later on. Do you realize that if you and I want the credit, we're going to get discredited faster? But if we don't want the credit, God will reward us. And others will notice as well. But we're not doing it for that reason. So it makes a huge difference at the end. Richard Sibbs says this. He says, poverty and affliction take away the fuel that that feeds pride. Poverty and affliction take away the fuel that feeds pride. I'm sure in this church... Many of us have gone through this, where we have lost a lot of our self-worth in the fact that we lost potentially a position at work, our responsibility somewhere, or even a loss of income somehow. And we realize that God, at that moment, humbled us. Because most of us, particularly those of us that are men, that, that try to provide for our families, we take pride in our work. We take pride in the fact that we're able to provide. And when we are humbled in certain areas, as it says here, poverty and affliction takes away the fuel that feeds pride. Sometimes you need to thank God for the things he's taken away rather than accuse him of being so nasty to you. The most loving thing he can do sometimes is strip you of your pride. Because the moment you think you're humble, sometimes you're actually proud. You know, we we tend to say we're not that rich man that says, look at all the things I've done. 
oh, take your rest now. Relax. That's us on our lazy boy chair, chilling, watching Netflix. Okay? Modern context. And God sometimes is going, I got something different that you need to think through. Your relaxation is a form of pride because you think you have it all figured out. And I'm taking something that's very hard for you to fathom why I'm doing it right now. But I'm there right now because I love you. And I want you to learn something through this. Because there's something greater that I have in store for you. Than just the nice things on this earth that you're going for. Or the comfort of American Christianity. John Bunyan said this. He says, it could be a sign of pride in your life. If a word of reproof or admonition is not able to be received with the same grace, whether it be given by the poorest of saints or the most educated person. Does it make a difference sometimes who approaches us? Sure it does. You realize that sometimes God can speak through sources you don't like and I don't like? That person that really, them? What do they have to offer me? It's a form of pride. I do love this quote by Warren Wiersbe. It says, The way we respond to criticism pretty much depends on the way we respond to praise. If praise humbles us, then criticism will build us up. But if praise inflates us, then criticism will crush us. And both responses lead to our defeat. I thought that was brilliant, and I stopped and I went, goodness, I know people on both sides of this equation. Have you seen people, oh, no, 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 don't praise me, I'm good. But as soon as there's a criticism, it like motivates them for more. It is, it's brilliant, this quote by Wiersbe, just, I just chewed over it for quite some time. Because some of us, were, we don't take criticism well, some of us don't take praise well. And it's usually because we're one or the other, if you will. Some of us, we need the pat on the back every day to motivate us to do something. And others need criticism so it motivates us to prove people wrong. You know, it's just this pride either way. It's just manifested differently. Number six. Starting in verse number five. says, does not behave rudely. Love is not rude. Love does not behave inappropriately or unmannerly. That's really the idea here. Love respects the other enough to choose appropriate responses to the circumstance. We talked about this before. Not everyone needs a piece of your mind every time. Especially when you haven't eaten anything that morning. It's very hard to live out love. For some of us, it's coffee. And only after two cups. It needs to be the Holy Spirit, Baptists. It does. Or more sleep. That would help. Love respects the other enough to choose appropriate responses to the circumstance. You ever have it difficult sometimes to respond to those closest to you? I find this, this one in particular of love not being rude is very hard to live out to people that we're closest to. Because the default response is just to be rude. They know me by now. They know how I think. Let me tell you. 
And you, you, you almost can predict certain people's response. Is that not true? Like you see them in that mood and you know what they're about to say if you ask this question. I don't know why we still ask the question, but we do. Hoping it's a different response this time, but it's the same one we've heard 10 times before in the last month. Love is not rude, folks. Love pays attention to the other person and knows, hey, there's a proper way to respond to this and there's an improper way to respond to this. And I'm going to choose the proper way to respond to this. Which means, if I didn't have my cup of coffee, let me get back to you, in two hours, if that's the best way, folks, do it. If you can't deal with that individual or that circumstance right then and there, wait to respond. Some of the biggest mistakes we make is when we try to make a quick response without thinking through what we're saying. Any of us that are quick-witted, if you will, we have that sarcastic side in the back of our head, right? That was a dumb question. Wait till I tell you. Wait till I tell you. Finish speaking. I'm about to give it all I've got. You're an idiot right now. Is that not true? How many of us have that happen with our kids sometimes, if we ever raise kids? All right, listen, I've explained this to you 20 times, but like, if I have to say it again. You see, love is not rude. So when you think of this, I want you to recalibrate... And like, remember what we started with, that person that you see as loving, how are they doing in these lists of things that we're talking about, specifically the ones we've started working through today? Because I dare say a lot of people that are truly people that we exemplify as being loving, they're not rude people. They're kind. They're not proud. They're not looking for everybody to give them the praise. Their understanding of our need and our circumstance, so they don't come out and tell us something just to give us a quick moment to shut up right away. They let us vent, if you will, right? Some people, they need to vent. And they don't need your solution a minute after they vented. Sometimes that is being rude because you didn't listen. You just want to hurry up and give them a solution. Man, we have a lot of work to do in that one no matter how many years we've been married. Love does not speak down towards others in a difficult time. You know, one of the hardest things, I think, for us to be honest about in the church is when someone makes a bad decision or they sin, for us not to come at them with the Bible and using it as a tool to destroy them. Is it possible that somebody may have sinned and the, the consequence is a direct result of the sin? Of course. Is it our job to be the Holy Spirit and convict them of that? No. Can we warn through Scripture? Yes. Do we need to be gracious and loving in how we do it? Of course. And one of the worst things that we can do as Christians, particularly disciples or followers of Jesus, is to go around telling people how the cause of their problems in life is their own sin every time. When here's the, here, here's the news flash, folks. It is for all of us. 
A lot of the problems that you face this next week will be a direct result of your sin, whether you like to admit it or not. Every one of us has this. Now, some of them are outside of us, and we can't control those things. So here's, here's, here's the part that just to get back to the... We, we've been talking about this in Sunday school. Anxiety and praying about things. You can only control you. You can't control the circumstances around you. I wish sometimes... I have this magic control button for my kids to be quiet for two minutes so I can get something else done. All right? But I know that even as much as I would like to control that, I can't as a parent. I can be concerned, but I can't be controlling. Does that make sense? And God, many times, is not a controlling God to us. He's someone that's concerned for our well-being and our conformity to Christ. And that's the reason why he, he lets us trip up, fall, get back up. Trip up, fall, get back up. And we should be extending that same grace to other people. Rather than speaking down towards those that are going through something we are not going through currently. And just as a way of warning too, if you've already gone through something that someone else is struggling with currently, don't use that as the tool to beat them even further. Here's how I came out of it. You can too. But you remember, you need to repent because of this. Give the Spirit time to work. Stop interjecting and assuming you're doing God's work when many times you may be causing more damage than helping. Very basic principle that all of us know, the golden rule, Luke 6.31. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. How would you like to wake up every, every morning with a rude person? Telling you all the things that you don't want to hear. Talking down to you. You don't like that any more than the next guy. Why are we doing it to others? What right do we have to do that to others? Titus 3, 1 and 2 says this. Remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to, for every good deed, to malign no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. Think of the word considerate when you think of this word of not being rude. Be considerate of other people. Believe me, I don't like it any more than the next person does. When I do something wrong, people pointing out why it went wrong. In the right time, I want to receive that instruction. I don't need someone rudely interjecting right away and telling me how bad and terrible of a decision something was. I'm willing to bet that I'm going to make bad decisions here in this church. Nothing would, if you will, pain me more than people rudely telling me how wrong that decision was. And I hope and pray that I am right in my response when I see church members trip up and fall. To approach them gently and be considerate. As scripture calls me to be gentle to those that oppose. 1 Peter 3.15 says this, But in your hearts set Christ apart as holy, acknowledging him, giving him first place in your lives as Lord. Always be ready to give a logical defense to anyone who asks you to account for the hope and confident assurance elicited by faith that is within you. Notice this last phrase. Yet, 
do it with gentleness and respect. You see, if that last phrase wasn't in there, you and I would have 30 different things that we would think of how we should approach other people in giving a defense. But Peter tells us specifically, do it with gentleness and respect. That applies to politics too, folks. That is not our approach many times to the leaders over us when it comes to politics. Gentleness and respect, you mean that the governor, the, the mayor, we don't fully agree with their, their politics? Yeah. That's what God calls me to? Yeah. Is that loving? Yes. That's exactly what is loving. Being rude is not loving. Next phrase. Number seven here. Does not seek its own. Does not seek its own. Agape love seeks the other's benefit, not one's own. Love looks to understand others and where they come from. Do you understand that your experience is so different than someone else many times? One of the hardest things, and we're going to talk about this here in a second, is really trying to understand people that come from a totally different background than you do. It's even very evident in the church, even the small church and community that we have here, it's very evident that we all don't come from the same backgrounds. We have a different upbringing. Our parents raised us differently. Can we agree with that? Some of us got the talk or the nod every day. Others got the, the paddle, whatever it is. We, we've been raised differently. We come from a different background. And yet, love is not self, self-focused to assume of what it looks like to someone else because of what it is. It's assuming that it's going to understand what the other person's coming from and try to adjust to properly respond to them. And give of oneself. Love looks to understand others and where they come from. Look, this is a difficult one for us to live sometimes. Because most of us, you know what people do? This is our default. Why is anybody thinking of me? When was the last time someone called me? When was the last time someone sent me a letter? When was the last time someone did this for me? Could it be? Could be that the reason someone hasn't done anything for us is because we've never done anything for anyone else. Could it be? But that's potentially why our church struggles so much in certain areas. Love is willing to lose all of its aspirations for the good of another. You do realize that some people on this earth have sacrificed more for the kingdom than others simply because they realize that the things in this earth don't matter as much as the things of eternity. I'm willing to make this statement here. I believe some people in this church have foregone certain things that they could enjoy so that they could make sure that this church runs. And they've given sacrificially out of love, knowing that, hey, I can get all these other things, but because I care so much about my church community and for the well-being of where God has called me to be, I'm going to sacrifice and forego these things because I care for the needs of others and I'm not about my own wants and desires. We flip wants and and needs all the time in our heads. I need that. No, you don't. It's a want. Just be honest. 
There's a lot of wants that I get that I appreciate and thank God for. But I know they're not needs. Here are potential ways you may be self-focused because love is not self-focused. Number one, you don't see how your decisions affect others. You don't see how your decisions affect others. You're looking at it through a lens of me and my own world. Do you realize that your life has a rippling effect to your own immediate family, to this church, and to this culture? You're not just on an island by yourself, whether you want to live on an island by yourself, if you will, apart from society and our church community. You're not an island by yourself. You still affect certain things. That means the person that doesn't come to church still affects those that are coming to church. Does that make sense? Like, we're all connected. It's not some separate thing. When someone's not meeting the potential that God has for them in the church community and giving of themselves to benefit the church body, they are hurting that church body. Number two, you hold the strong opinions at the expense of relationship with others. There are a lot of people that don't understand love because they hold the strong opinions at the expense of relationships with other people. Are there things to be passionate about? Are there things to be passionately standing firm on when it comes to the faith? Of course. Absolutely. But some of us, we have personal opinions that we elevate to the standard of God's word and we say, if people don't line up to this, I don't want to talk to them. But get over yourself. That's pride. That's being self-focused. Number three, here's a big one. You don't hurt for others when they're going through a hard time. Look, let's be real for a second. Sometimes the default response is, they deserved it. You see how they did? You see how they lived? Maybe we're a little too self-focused, folks, sometimes. Number four, potential ways you may be self-focused. Your relationships never last long. The cycle keeps repeating. If you're a person that has to have new friends every two, three years, you're more than likely someone that is self-focused that doesn't understand love in the biblical sense. The goal for the church is to build lifelong relationships, not two, three-year relationships that now dissipate and we start with somebody else again. We're one family. Does that make sense? Some of you don't have everything line up in your homes, your actual physical homes, but you still come together for Thanksgiving and Christmas. I don't understand why the church can't do things differently on that point. I'm not, I'm not talking about the fact that trust can't be broken and you may have to wean yourself from a certain person in that circumstance. I'm not saying that. But if this is a cycle in your life where you have to have new friends all the time, the issue is not other people. The issue is you and you can't find the right people to stick it out with. And you're self-focused and constantly looking for everybody else to solve the innermost need that only Christ can. Number five, you need others to see the perfect version of you without flaws. Is that not the description of the church? This is not a memorial, folks. We're not here to stand as as memorials for everybody all the time. We are a hospital for needy sinners that constantly need healing. 
And that includes every one of us, pastor included. You need others to see the perfect version of you without flaws. You may be self-focused. That Facebook version of you isn't the real you, folks. Now, maybe some of you are saying, no, I am pretty honest. I let everybody say, see everybody, everybody see what, what exactly is going on in my life. You might need some discernment with that, too. So, <laughs> it's not exactly the best, either. Not everybody needs to know. Okay? Number six. Here's a big one. You are constantly defensive when others call you out. Let me remind you, folks, the most biblical godly men in Scripture have been called out. Peter, being one of them, called out by Christ and by a new believer, Paul, when he was hypocritical and who he hung out with. Who else was called out? David. Oh, a man after God's own heart. Guess what the difference is between someone that's self-focused and someone that actually understands love from God's sense is? The one that's self-focused is defensive. They put up the wall. It's not me. It's not my fault. And the one that understands love understands that it's not about them. They actually hurt someone else in what they did. Instead of blaming others for why you did something to someone else, start owning what you did on your end. And then we can take care of whoever did what against you. Does that make sense? Now, can it be sometimes somebody completely, someone else's fault entirely? Yes, sure. But many times we have something to do with it. I call them the button, button pushers in our lives. Anybody know who button pushers are? They're the ones that know exactly what it is that will trigger you, and they go after that. They keep prodding and poking. They know it's going to tick you off sooner or later. So they keep poking, keep poking, keep poking. And then that person snaps, oh my goodness, did you see that? Did you see how they responded? Folks, we need to be careful that we don't sit there and constantly want ourselves to be approved by other people, that we're so self-focused constantly that when somebody comes to us in something we've done wrong or something that they may have misunderstood that we've done, we don't get just defensive automatically. Sometimes we need a little more humble pie in our lives. Thanksgiving pie. Hopefully you got the connection. Number seven. Number seven. You demand things from others on your own terms without understanding others' perspective. You demand things from others on your own terms without understanding others' perspective. Let me warn you that this is a big one that goes on throughout society. In a marriage where the self-focus is evident, one spouse will demand things of the other at, on their own terms and they never come to agreement on anything, including food. The reality is this, folks. You can't demand things from others on your own terms without understanding somebody and be loving. Here's the truth. Here's what scripture says. 1 Corinthians 10:24. Let no one seek his own good but the good of his neighbor. You see, I have a really hard time sometimes in 
looking past my own things that I have going on during that week or that month that I know I have things to plan out and do. I have a hard time many times just stepping back and realizing that other people in this church may be going through something even more disgusting or frustrating to deal with than I do. They may have more trouble than even I have to deal with that week. And just because my world seems to be the worst at the time for me does not mean that someone else isn't going through something more difficult that week. If it's constant in any relationship that you tell her they have to do it your way, watch out. You're very self-focused. If you constantly have to tell everybody to do it your way, you're self-focused. One of the most crushing things to find in the church is self-focused people that don't see how full of themselves they really are. There's a reason why people have so many preferences in the church. They didn't like this song this week. They didn't like the pastor's sermon that week. They didn't like what someone said in Sunday school. They didn't like that no one said hi that, that Sunday. They didn't like that no one gave them a call the other morning. Folks, maybe instead of us waiting for everyone else to do these things, we start doing them. And you know what? Here's the amazing part. Once we start doing those things, God, some way, somehow, works it to where that comes right back to us because God rewards us for those things. There are certain people in this church, within two seconds, people will drop whatever they're doing to go help out. Why? Because they're this kind of person. They're not self-focused at all. They're always looking out for everybody else. Their time is important to them. Don't get me wrong. But they understand what it means to sacrifice for the kingdom for others. They're willing to drop whatever they're doing to help that person in need because ultimately they know there's something greater here than just my own wants or desires every time. And and let me be more practical. Here's one way you really need to distinguish whether something could be done for somebody else's behalf or not. If it's something like spending time with your family and your friends, you should do that. If it's time around the tube for three hours because you need to watch the show, you can drop that and go help somebody out. Okay? Like, that's a practical way that you can figure out, hey, is this important to me or not? Sadly, the Netflix thing is more important than spending time with people. It's, it's, it's the perpetual, I came home and I spent time with my family around the TV screen, never said a word for three hours. It's garbage, folks. It's not spending time. That's staring at a blank wall the whole time and expecting that to be quality time. Proverbs 18.1 says something about this. It says, one who isolates himself pursues what? Selfish desires. Folks, this is the Bible. This isn't Pastor Roman coming up with these concepts. He rebels against all sound judgment. Do you realize that that's why community is so important? One who isolates himself pursues selfish desires. You're not an island, folks. You're a part of a community. And you're to live in that community. And if you're trying to live on your own and not be a part of the community, you need to realize that not being a part of the community is affecting that community. I'm passionate about these things, folks, because I see a lot of this going on in the church today. 
We're waiting for everybody else to make the first move. We're waiting for so-and-so in the church to do this for us, and that person to do this for us. And none of us are going, Lord, here am I, send me. Because we don't know what love is. We're trying to live out love without Christ and expecting it to work the same way. It doesn't. That is the reason why when somebody takes even 10 minutes of our time that's precious to us, that we really were going to waste anyways at home, we argue and get frustrated with them. Should you block off time for your family? Absolutely. Is it biblical? Absolutely. But don't go pretending that you and I spend great time with people all the time and we need a lot of me time when you need more we time than me time sometimes. No one's perfect. There's only one that was Christ. And he built this church so that you would strive to be more like him, not less like him. A.W. Tozer says this, The labor of self-love is a heavy one indeed. Think whether much of your sorrow has not arisen from someone speaking slightly of you. As long as you set yourself up as a little God to which you must be loyal, how can you find hope to find inward peace? Number eight. I'm going to go through these last two. Not easily angered. Love understands the importance of being patient, resulting in a higher tolerance for others. Love is not overly sensitive, understanding that the other's actions may have been influenced by another. Do you realize that some people will do something against us because someone else influenced them or they had a really bad day? And sometimes you need to stop and step back and not respond out of anger because you don't know the circumstance of why that person came to you the way that they did. How many of you respond so loving? When you're under a bunch of stress. Anybody good at that? Please, I want to talk to you. I really need help with that one. Okay? Like, I really appreciate some help in this one. Love does not blow up in anger the first time something is hurt by actions or words. It does not blow up in anger the first time it's hurt by actions or words. In fact, Proverbs 14.29 says, He who is slow to anger has great understanding... And profits from self-control. But he who is quick-tempered exposes and exalts his foolishness for all to see. You ever see people that blow up? Don't they look like fools? Have you ever been one? <laughs> ah, welcome to the club. Gotcha. All right. Psalm 103.8. The Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. This is how God responds to us. He is very slow in his anger towards us. He's compassionate to us. That's how we need to be with other people. Not give them one strike, you're out. Never trusting you again. You blew it. Folks, if we did that with every person we've met, none of us would ever trust a single individual on this earth for anything. If God did that with us, we'd have nothing to serve him with. Neil Anderson says this, when you resort to shouting in conflict, you are reacting in the flesh. You have lost control of the only person you can control, yourself. Parents, let's think about this one. And number nine, does not keep score. 
Legizomai, used here an accounting term which refers to paying back of money owed. Love does not keep a long list of the wrongs done against it. Love knows forgiveness is at stake. Check out this tie-in from the previous statement of love not easily anger and provoke to this point of not keeping score. Look at Proverbs 19.11. It says this, Sensible people control their temper. How do they earn respect? They earn respect by what? Overlooking wrongs. They don't blow up, and they overlook the wrong. Oh, if we would be people like that. not a big deal. That person just cut me off. I'm going to overlook that wrong. Bless him, Lord. No, we're, we're, we're praying imprecatory prayers. I hope their tire pops on the side of the Yeah, we know. Psalm 103, 8 through 15. Look at this. This is amazing. The Lord is compassionate, merciful, slow to get angry, and filled with unfailing love. He will not constantly accuse us, nor remain angry forever. He does not punish us for all our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. For his unfailing love towards those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. He has removed our sins as far as from us as the east is from the west. The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. For he knows how weak we are. He remembers we are only dust. Do you see that God understands who we are? Our days on earth are like grass, like wildflowers we bloom and die. It is important to note that this agape love is specifically applied to those that fear God. Okay? This is, that's the context here. Reverence and respect. This is not our universal forgiveness that we're talking about. This has more to do with keeping a list in order to get back at someone. That's what we're talking about here. Which many of us have done with those we claim to love. Folks, this needs to be eliminated in your marriage right away. If you're still doing this, stop today. Repent, stop it today. Stop bringing up stuff from three years ago that your spouse forgot to do or did do, whichever one it is. Stop keeping the record of wrongs only to use it as a, as a, as a tool to keep hitting somebody else with. God does not keep a record for his own in order to get back at us for wronging him, but rather rewards us or disciplines us based on how we live this life. There are things we may never forget that someone has done against us, and we should exercise discernment. There are certain people you should stay away from. I'm not saying you don't do that. But we should not be keeping a list only to use to get back at others for the wrong they've done us so we can give ourselves a pass. Because usually what happens is we build the list out to approve of ourselves. Is that not the case? When you and I have done wrong and we're keeping a list, it's so we can use that as a bullet right when we need to in an argument, right? Like... I know I've done this, but remember, whatever it is. Folks, that's not what love is. So, in conclusion, which of the descriptions of divine love we've discussed so far are you failing in? Okay, I want you to ask that question. Remember that other question I asked you right up front. The person that you believe is loving, you've seen that exemplifying. How are they doing in these different categories that we looked at so far? How are they doing in being patient with others? Or have done, like I said, it might be somebody that's passed on. Being useful to others, not being jealous of others, not showing off, not being proud, not rude, not self-focused, not easily angered, and they do not keep score. How are, they, how are they doing in all those? And how are you doing in comparison as well? And the second question is, how often do you remind yourself of this love God has shown you? 
Because you need to realize this is all a reflection of him. Okay? He's asking us only to do what he's already done for us and continually does for us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this encouragement that we see of what love looks like in the descriptions that you give us so clearly laid out here in 1 Corinthians 13. Father, I ask that as we close this morning's service that you would uh, keep each and every person uh, safe on their travels home, and that you would give us a good week, and that we would be willing to own areas that we're, uh, we're struggling in, in, in showing this love that we need to towards others. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.